get the shit on Interracial John Shut, Shut the, the fuck, fuck up and listen Interracial John Interracial John Interracial shit motherfuckers Shut up and listen Drew and Leslie Interracial John Welcome to the Interracial John podcast I'm your host Leslie Mack I'm joined as always By a very white guy And you are very white indeed What's going on? You know Glad to be podcasting A little, little, little audio Harry frustration Harry getting into yeah, the I don't podcast know, I know other podcasters If they like have these issues But uh, I blew out a, a USB port I've blown, blown out like two of them now. I've never done that before. They stopped recording audio. Like, I don't know what the fuck. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Just search Interracial John. That's J-A-W-N. You can go to our website, interracialjohn.com. And we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Periscope, etc. Just search again, interracial John, J-E-W-N. And we really love feedback. Yes. Yes. You can leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. If it's five stars, we'll read it here in the air. You can also email us, interracialjohn at gmail.com. And you can pick up your phone and dial 657-JOHNERS. That's 657-J-A-W-N-E-R-S. And if it's under three minutes and not ridiculous, we will read it here or we'll play it here on the air. And shout out to Rod and Karen from the Black Eye Who Tips for our general feedback rules. Speaking of. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. She has her own bell now, people. <laughs> Dueling bells. Dueling bells, bitch. <laughs> I, I know why we keep blowing out USB uh, ports. <laughs> Don't blame the bell. One, two, three, four, ain't got shit. Five stars. Yeah, we can have some trouble in post production. <laughs> uh, was the there's one of these things we do in post production where it tries to equalize all the sound. That's gonna be tough today. So uh, five star podcast uh, review by Joe G of Board Beyond Belief. Hey, um, Joe. Joe G says a must listen podcast must. on the Fourth of July on your birthday. A little gift. Thank you for that, Joe G. I can't remember how I found uh, the interracial John. He, he's the uh, the IJP. Ooh, I hadn't seen the, the IJP. Oh, IJP. Rapping the IJP. I'm here for it. Perhaps I was looking for you, you and or Black Lives Matter related stuff on Twitter and found either Leslie's or the Very White Guy's Twitter feed. Anyway, I discovered it and boy have I learned so much about race and especially about the personal pain it causes, especially for Leslie. Uh, I learned other things too, the UA and what uh, shows to check out, although I'm not a UU person. Uh, we call you UU adjacent, uh, Joe G. Yes. Uh, you, UU in spirit. Yeah. With us, with us UU, in spirit. UU adjacent. Uh, although I'm not a UU person, he's UU adjacent. I should say they, Joe G. They, uh, your efforts, including the Black Lives of you, have made me, have made me much more enthusiastic about getting involved. Oh, I've heard that from a lot of people. Thank you. Uh, or thank Leslie. Plus, I just signed up for Safety Pin Box membership. Well, that is a ding. P.S. I also love the White Privilege Podcast by Rev, uh, Unruly Rev and the Very White Guy. Thanks for both your efforts and some of the great podcast listening. Well, thank you, Joe G. Thank and you, thank you for being G. a member. We can get a couple of Thanks for being for a that. subscriber, too. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Very nice. Yeah. And you know what? And I'm going to, we don't, we don't do this. I'm going to like, I'm going to put my like, my hat in hand, 
hat in hand. What, what are you doing? We don't. We don't have a Patreon. We don't ask for much. We don't beg. We're not beg. We don't, have, we don't have any support anyway. You can't pay us anything at all. If you would like to support the John, you want to support Leslie Mack and, and her efforts, and you want to support the the household, the John household, and what would be, I think, the greatest gift really that you could do for us at this very moment is buy a T-shirt. And in fact, I've lowered the price. LeslieMack.com backslash shop. That's LeslieMack.com backslash shop. You can buy Black Lives Are Greater Than White Feelings. That's the one wonderful t-shirt. Black Lives. Great the, shirt. The mathematical equivalent, greater than white feelings. 20 bucks. 20 bucks. And uh, we've got uh, Raise Better White People. 15 bucks. 15 bucks. Raise Better White People. Mm-hmm. And if you really want both of them, I'll give them to you for 30 bucks. DM me or something. But buy a t-shirt, please. Send it to somebody you love. Send it to somebody you hate. Yeah. But we have t-shirts that I don't want, and uh, they're taking up space. Yeah. It'd be awesome for the Leslie Mack household <laughs> if these t-shirts got out the way. Yeah. So that's that. That's all I'll say about that. Yeah. You if you're looking to buy a t-shirt, they're on sale shirts, now. Dude. I'm trying. Listen, right now, I just, I look, I just had a commercial Good on the job. I just yeah. stole about a about a fifties worth of airtime <laughs> for a commercial. So I was in St. Louis since we last podcasted. Went out to St. Louis at the uh, invitation of the team that's, um, you know, producing and, and putting out the Who Streets documentary. It comes out uh, August 11th, so in a couple of weeks. Awesome! And so I got to see this. Sh- I got to see the um, the the actual the whole thing. It was really intense, very moving. Um, definitely not like. Not traumatizing, you know what I'm saying? Like in the context of like, you know, uh, like black pain, pain porn, like trauma porn. It's not what like that, about. but it is, um, you know, unsettling because it really like just lays bare the realities of what happened and what has happened, um, in Ferguson and in St. Louis. And so. Um, you know, it was really, I was really honored to be able to go and see it and have some time with the directors and some of the folks featured in the movie, um, which was really great. And so I really encourage everybody to go see it if you've, if you're new to all of this woke, quote unquote, wokeness and don't quite know exactly what happened in Ferguson. Even if you think you do know what happened in Ferguson, I urge everybody to go and see this movie. It is, you know, it is written from the perspectives of, you know, five or six regular schmegula people that, you know, uh, for whom before Ferguson and after Ferguson is, is a very real thing. Um, it was, you know, I think for me it was weird because I know so many of the people personally. And so that part was strange seeing people in, you know, settings that you would never see them together like that again. You know what I mean? Like little things like that that were really jarring for me. But um it was just really it's a really, really great movie. And it really tells the story of the Ferguson uprising um really well. Very well I'm done. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that it's not, as you said, trauma porn. And it, it centers on Brittany, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. No, not just Brittany. It centers on Tef and Kayla, Tori, David Witt, um, and Brittany. So it's not just Brittany, which is actually a weird little thing. Um, yeah. Why did I think that? Is that well, because is that- that's what happened. You know, they went to Sundance. They got picked up by Magnolia Pictures. And then that, then there starts to be a conversation about how to market it. 
Um, and certainly Britney's story is, com- is an, a, a central one and it's very compelling. Um, and so that's been one, but, uh, recently there's been like David, David Witt has, um, some teasers that are out featuring him now. Um, and it tells, it tells a, a big story, but. We're going to go see it, uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. We're going to try and see it. Yeah. I don't know which day, but one of those days. Yeah. We're going to go see it that first weekend. Okay. It'll be great because it's only going to be, I think, in like nine cities first weekend. And then the weekend after that expands to like 15 or 16. But you know, the more people that see it, the wider it will go, the longer it'll be in theaters, you know, and so. I would just urge people to really try and get out to the theaters that first weekend that you, that you find it in. Check my, um, timeline. I'll be tweeting out tons of stuff as we lead up to, um, the actual release about it. Um, so yeah, I would just, yeah. So a few things that happened while I was in St. Louis also, you know, cause I can't go to St. Louis and not, you yeah. know, and you know, sidebar, you're a before Ferguson after Ferguson. You, you, I am. I am not to the extent that these people are though. Like really, like, <laughs> I don't, I, I, you know, that's the thing I think I, I talk a lot about, you know, I don't talk about Ferguson as if it happened to me because it didn't, it did spur me to action, you know? And so I think there's another part of that, you know, when I was talking, Zelly, um, from Noirees was, was out, he came out as well to go to the screening and we were talking about how, you know, being organizers that were not there and how it affected our work, um, it was surreal watching it play out on the screen as well. Like remembering what, what we were doing when, you know, uh, Brown Blaze, Ashley Yates was, was actually broadcasting and, and posting this video that they're showing in this documentary. Like I remember when, when it was posted, when I watched it, you know what I mean? So all of that stuff is very surreal, but you know, I didn't have my neighborhood <laughs> taken over by a military coup for months. I, you know, I didn't have, uh, you know, chemical sound psychological warfare being enacted on me in my backyard. And so I think that that's the story this tells. Mm. I think that there's been this, this obscure notion of like professional protesters or whatever that may mean to you, good or bad. But I think this movie really illustrates that. You know, the uprising wasn't about professional anyone. It was, you know, regular people that just had decided it was enough and they were going to come together and try to do something. And it was a beautiful something that they did. And I think that it tells that story really, really uh, objectively and really compellingly and puts it in proper context. Because I think when things happened, you know, you you wait a year and a half after Ferguson and the DOJ report comes out. It's so far removed from the uprising that people don't make that connection as as strongly as they should. But when you sit in a 90 minute movie and you see what happened and then it's like, oh, yeah. And by the way, the government even proved that these motherfuckers are trash, abusive, belligerent, you know, com- coming after communities of color specifically, funding themselves as such. Um, it, whole- give, it has a different weight to it. Yeah. I hear you. What did they, so then just out of curiosity, obviously we'll see it in a, you know, 10, 12 days or whatever, but you said it wasn't, um, trauma porn, which is great. Did it also have like, I don't want to say like too much cops, but like, you know what I mean? Like the narrative could be about the protesters and, and, and the people of Ferguson, but how much of it was about like, you know, the f- fucked up response from the police, like how much police was in it? A lot? A little? I mean, you see what happened. This is raw footage. You know, it wasn't pieced mm. together. Damon was there. Damon's from St. Louis. Sabah was there. You know, they started filming a documentary they didn't know was going to be a documentary. And so 
In addition to their footage, they have direct footage. They Ashley's footage is in the movie. Lots of other people's footage is in the movie. Um, and so th- this isn't a, a case of, you know, it's, it's right there. Like there's no, there's no doctoring needed. There's no narrative. Then it's just, they just show you what happened, what really mm. happened. Not the loop that they played of like the one place burnt, you know, the one quick trip burning, the one building that burned, you know, that, that's not what they're showing you. Although they do, I will say one of the other things the movie does is a, is a huge critique of the media and, you know, I, I feel when I, when we were done, I was talking, I was like, it's, it, it felt like the birth of fake news, Ferguson. Oh, yeah. It felt like this was when it was like, nope, the machine shifted and it got away from everybody. And, um, well, it felt like the, the social media aspect, like there was, you know, like, like you have these different moments in time, Arab Spring, all these different things. And Ferguson and social media felt like the the narrative and the big machine's response was like, well, the truth kind of gets out now, so we're going to have to just like say our lie bigger and bolder and louder, if that makes any sense. Like you can't really, you can't hide behind the fact that like people are, thousands of people are tweeting like, this is bullshit, this didn't really happen, here's pictures of what really happened. So the lie just gets kind of like bigger and bolder, I guess. Yeah, bigger and bolder, exactly. Remember the whole fucking like Molotov cocktails and every fucking nightly news. They do that. Molotov they do cocktails, that too. Molotov they, cocktails. they really, they do. Sabah and Damon did a really great job of like piecing together now. There was like five parts to it. I don't want to tell the whole, you know, okay, the whole good. documentary, yeah, yeah, no. but, but it really, like I said, no one has told this story. No one has, you know, really just laid it bare and truthfully on the screen and just be like, this is what happened. This is how fucked up it was. This is why. You know, an entire community said, nah, um, not today. And so I think that, yeah, I think people will really, I think it has a, the, if, if as many people go see it as should go see it, I think that it will really make a big impact. All right. Well, we'll definitely, we'll put our two cents in. So what else about St. Louis? Uh, so I'm doing some other fun things in St. Louis. You know, I had, uh, raise some money to buy out a theater um in St. Louis for black women organizers to go see girls trip together on Saturday night, which um thanks to everybody that donated, we were able to do that. It was an amazing evening. Everybody brought their moms, blah, blah, blah. It was great, whatever. Um And then we had, you know, regular stuff, but we were having some snacks like after party style after the movie and Caleb popped up with something I have never seen in my entire life called wrap snacks. Now, I've never heard of rap snacks. They don't have them here. You don't mean W-R-A-P. No, I mean R-A-P. Like like Chance the. Yeah. Okay. So, um, oh, this is so weird because I just Googled it and it said three days ago, Bon Appetit put out an article saying everything about rap snacks is amazing. (laughs) Well, tell me about rap snacks. Well, um, rap snacks, um, his CEO is James, quote unquote, Fly Lindsay. He was inspired by his upbringing in inner city Philadelphia. Oh, that makes sense. Cause a bunch of people in Philly were like, we got rap snacks here. And I was like, what? I don't remember rap snacks anywhere. Anyways, to launch rap snacks in 1994 alongside hip hop star Master P, who, who he was brand manager for at the time. Unfortunately, when you go up in the inner city, a lot of, a lot of times snacks become your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they were only available in Washington, DC, Baltimore, and Philly around 2011. The brand got quiet. I never stopped making them. 
for a while, we just kind of operate in three or four markets, you know, until we felt like there was a lot more opportunity to come back and repackage the brand. The opportunity arrived in July 2016 and marked Wrap Snacks relaunch. Now they're found in convenience stores from Maine to Florida, some parts of the Midwest and Texas. Um, and so it's really hilarious. So they're all named after rappers. So each rapper gets their own, um, you know, their own flavor. That snack mix. Yeah. And they get to put like their paint, their thing on it, their face on it gets to go on it. get a cut. Probably. So there's like barbecuing with my honey, Romeo uh, Miller chips, uh, sour cream with a dab of ranch. That's the Migos wrap snacks. Um, let's see. Fabulous New York deli, deli cheddar, wavy potato chips, little boosies, Louisiana heat, wavy potato chips. What would be um, your wrap snack? I don't know what my wrap snack would be, but. Mine would be like pizza, beer, something flavored. And Fetty Wap got a um, honey jalapeno one. I had the one I had was, um, what's the one I had? Oh, Young Jocks. That's the one I had. Your your wrap snack would be some kind of fruit snack. A fruit snack. Yeah, like a Welch's fruit snack of some sort. Maybe. Anyways, they were tasty as fuck, and now I like want them. I heard they have them in Charlotte, so yeah, that that ain't a Grand Rapids. Nope. This ain't the market. (laughs) Trina has honeydew cheese puffs. Honeydew cheese puffs. Mm, That sounds good. I'm telling you. Honeydew like the melon? Yeah. That sounds hella good. I'm telling you. Lil Yachty um, has one coming out called the Ooey Crunchy Curls. (laughs) Ooey. 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 Crunchy Curls in both hot chili, lime, uh, chili pepper and lime and simply hot. Trina has cheese puffs in both jalapeno, honey jalapeno and honeydew. Yes. Melon flavor chips. Um, Sounds hella good. Yes. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Ooey, we got to get... The, uh, the original John or Carl. Yeah, we got to get Carl uh, together John. on the show. Anyways, I just thought they were so cool. And if anyone dope. wants to send us rap snacks, we'll take them. Um, <laughs> buy, a, buy a t-shirt, then send the rap and snacks. Then send the rap snacks. <laughs> yeah, that. What did you have to, what, what was going on with you? Anything? No, anything? I just fucking worked, man. Yeah, you did. Work. I, I, I worked and worked. Going and, on. Uh, you know, I've got, uh, we have a new, uh, this is like my day job stuff I haven't talked to you about. It. I don't want to bore people on our podcast, but we have a new developer. We have a couple of new developers and a new person that's kind of taken over as the, CTO kind of thing. And it's been a more enjoyable experience getting content and products and things to launch. So it was pretty nice being able to like, you know, have the flexibility, the freedom and the resources in the company I work for to think of things, bring them to like big ideas and bring them to fruition. Right. So it's kind of, that's a, that's the, about the only, I'd <laughs> say the only redeeming quality, but that's the aspect I enjoy most of my job. And it, it's pre two four been hard to exercise because of, other factors. Just, yeah, a bottleneck in a variety of ways. But right. it's, um, it was nice to be able to do this piece and it was, um, I would say really well received. Very uh, good. Well, yeah, congratulations. Was, was Thanks. With all of that stuff. That's yeah. cool. We saw like, uh, on the one metric, a, a 250% increase and we launched it like 48 hours beforehand. So it was kind of nice to know that like with zero effort, we still had a, my, my, Still had a decent amount of yeah. My 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 thoughts as to what would increase the engagement was accurate. Accurate it was nice. It's nice to be right occasionally. Occasionally, once in a while. Actually, my day job, I'm right more often than not. Yeah, People do don't right. believe it, but I do. I, I bet like maybe four hundred. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my day job was busy as fuck, but it was good. That is good. Yeah, I hadn't put in like a. <laughs> Embarrassed. I hadn't put in like a fifty-hour work week in a while. Yeah, I was like, man, I'm I'm exhausted. I'm pooped. I don't know why, but I'm so <laughs> tired. 
But that was that was better than my end. I watched a couple of movies while you're gone. I saw Kong Skull Island. Not yeah, bad. You mentioned that. Yeah. Oh, wait, you don't mention that now. We got well, that in. Uh, oh, okay. In our notes. It is okay. Make yeah, sure man. Kong Skull Island's in there because I it was it wasn't that bad. But oh man, I saw some shit while you're gone. We'll get to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> that was it for me. Should we get into the news? Yeah, let's do it. The news is coming on. The news is coming on. <laughs> coming on. So, uh, Eastern Market in uh, Detroit took action after uh, someone f- hung a Confederate flag. Yeah. So, a vendor in Eastern Market displayed a Confederate flag at their booth this past weekend, and the market's changing its policy on signs that deal with offensive language and hate signs. Hmm. And kudos to them for dealing with the Confederate uh, flag as a hate sign. The incident reportedly took place on Saturday at the Easter Market and a statement which was posted on Facebook. The Market Corporation said that racism in any form is not acceptable by anyone associated with Easter Market mm-hmm. and added that we do know that all vendors must understand the deep and pain. We do know that all vendors must understand the deep and painful meaning black customers associate with the Confederate flag. Look at them. Look at you. Nice statement. Dan Carmody, the president of Eastern Market Corporation, said that they will be updating its vendor handbook to specifically prohibit signs with offensive language and hate signs. The EMC will be emailing vendors letting them know of the update and the handbook and will immediately go into effect Tuesday, August 1st. Wow. They have a whole, you want to read the whole statement? If you want to. Sure. Eastern Market Corporation, the nonprofit manager of EMC Eastern Market, stresses to both vendors and employees that a core value of the market is being a place where all people are welcome. Until yesterday, Saturday, July 20th, 2017, we had not received any complaints regarding vendors displaying the Confederate flag during the 10 plus years EMC has managed the market. While our current vendor handbook prohibits discrimination and the use of obscene language or discourteous or discourtesy towards customers, it does not explicitly deal with offensive language or hate signs. To prevent any further incidents of this kind, we'll be revising our visitor, our vendor handbook to specifically prohibit offensive language and signs consistent with that in our petitioning and solicitation policy. Those guidelines were revised when the protest group used a swastika in signage during a protest a few years ago. Good lord, EMC. I've got their, their nimble. Uh, we will not, we will notify vendors of this policy change via the weekly emails that go to all vendors in the Tuesday, Saturday, and Sunday markets and we'll begin implementing the new policy with our Tuesday, August 1st, 2017 market. We don't know whether this was a case of willfulness or insensitivity, mm. though neither is acceptable behavior. Bam, bitch, bam. We do know that neither, all bitch, <laughs> neither neither. Is acceptable behavior. Neither. We do know that all vendors must understand the deep and painful meaning black customers associate with the Confederate flag. We live in times of increasing racial tensions. Racism in any form is not acceptable by anyone associated with Eastern Market. We are a place where urban meets suburban meets rural and a wide range of people, perspectives, and opinions engage every market day. Never more than now has there been a need for this mostly joyful engagement to continue. Uh, respectfully, Dan Kermode, president. And I'll have to, I, it's not actually an apology, so it's not like rated, but like he did all the stuff you're supposed to do with an apology. This is what happened. Here's why it happened. Our policy didn't explicitly direct this. We've never had complaints. We know how to complain. We're changing it. This is the way it's going to happen. And we know whether this was accidental or intentional, neither is acceptable. And we know what you know, Joe, you idiot. <laughs> like I'm pretty, I'm a little, give him a ding. Not bad. Easter market. You Absolutely. Know? That sounds amazing. Well, and it, it, we always say this. It just takes one kind of person. Yeah, it does. It takes one person to be like, and I'm not going to be fuck shit. Yeah. I'll say Dan Carmody. He was the, the director or president of Eastern market and the buck stopped with him and certainly didn't allow that to go on. I'm All impressed. Right. Well, good for you, Dan. Yeah, good for them. Good for them indeed. And I, what, what protest brought the swastikas? 
with white people it could be anything let's be let's be real i haven't even looked at the the show notes i don't think it's in here the 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 woman that went to comic-con in blackface no i didn't put that in good lord white people are too much way too much speaking of (laughs) are people actually happy in tiny houses oh dr smooth mustache a recent survey suggests the answer is no between their efficient organization and streamlined design, tiny houses have totally taken over TV and social media in the past few years. The idea of scaling back on belongings as well as mortgage payments is certainly appealing. But how many people could or would be able to actually live in 400 square feet? Not many, according to a recent report by Julia. <laughs> the online uh, real estate resource polled more than 22,000. No, 2,200, sorry, 2,200 U.S. adults about what they wish they had done differently with their current housing. A whopping 44% of participants had housing regrets, and the biggest regret among homeowners had to do with size. One in three homeowners wish they had chosen a larger home compared to 9% of which they had downsized. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We've, we've been on both ends of the, the spectrum to some degree, but, yeah. uh, you know, I, another thing I didn't know about these tiny house situations and people like, Oh, I'm going to save money and there'll be you know, nothing at all. Blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. They, one, you can't get a mortgage on it. You got to buy a thing outright. Yeah. It's like kind of like owning an RV. I guess you could like finance it for some number of years, but it won't be 30 years, like right. a 30 year fixed. And B, the, the actual like long term, I forget what the the word I'm looking for here is, but like, you know, like we're living in a house that was built 60 years ago and this house will be here like knock on wood, probably another 60 years, meaning the like long-term duration of this homes, like a hundred plus something years. There are homes that last multiple hundreds of years. These tiny homes don't last 30 years. No. They don't last 20 years. They're not meant to last 20 years. No. And it's funny They're made because like particle board one of the shit. things that somebody said was like the thing that they don't tell you is that it you use up a lot more... um like wear and tear because it's so small so like you're it's like oh it's small but my ass walks the same amount right so i'm still like like the floors run bare quicker she was she was saying like a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't expect to like you know yeah i mean imagine the like wear and tear 1600 square feet gets and then multiply that by four for your 400 square feet you know what i mean like it's gonna get four times the normal wear and tear because it's a quarter of the size Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, there's no freaking way I could do a tiny house. I'm 6'4", 250. That's not, I'm not biologically tiny house compatible. You're not, that's not you. <laughs> I always feel like, uh, Chris Farley, Tommy Boy, when he's like in the airplane putting on the uniform, that's me. That's you. Yeah, like mm-hmm. busting out of shit like, <laughs> you're funny. I'd be like popping out the tiny house. Wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't work. No. So, uh, black is an invisible color. Yeah. yeah. Is it? Yeah. I used to say, uh, so this is in, uh, what, uh, Nandor? I don't know what article this is, but, uh, anyway, uh, I used to, black is an invisible color. I used to say I like every kind of music except country. That was until my good friend Steve Abel made me sit down to listen to Johnny Cash at San Quentin recorded live at the infamous prison. I was an instant fan. So when Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash biopic was released in 2005, I was eager to see it. I thought it was a great movie. With some brilliant scenes like the one where Ma and Pa Carter see off Cash's dealer with shotguns as he quits cold turkey. They seem to epitomize the best of white Southern Christian decency. In contrast to the usual treatment, we see of Southern hypocrisy, malice, and racist cruelty. The romance between Johnny Cash and June Carter was, of course, the main thread of the movie. It winds around his protracted wooing of her and ends with a caption celebrating their 35-year partnership on and off the stage after she finally agrees to marry him. What is this voice you're doing? I don't know, like some fucking reading voice. <laughs> it's for 
first wife, Vivian, okay, uh, is portrayed. The person's from New Zealand, so that's why I'm laughing. Oh, his first wife, Vivian, is portrayed as a woman just never suited to be his wife and who drove him away with her bitterness, jealousy, and resentment. Listen to that. Vivian was portrayed as a woman who was never suited and drove him away. I remember idly wondering what she was really like and whether this was a fair portrayal of her character. As the story moved back to this great love of June, watching the movie for a second time of the day, I was again swept up in what a nasty, bitter woman Vivian was, even as another part of my mind again questioned the representation. In the garden with my wife the following day, we began deconstructing the movie as we worked. As we talked through different elements of the plot, I began to feel more and more uneasy. Later, I decided to Google Vivian Cash. I found a review of her book, I Walked the Line, written after the film came out. Not surprisingly, it gave a very different story of the film, suggesting that their marriage had been very happy until June stole Johnny away. What was surprising, though, was when I looked at photos of Vivian. Turns out, she was a black woman. Where's my record scratch? Wait a minute, where's my... Anyway, record scratch. They completely erased that from the movie, by the way. You'd never know from reading any of the articles about her. You'd certainly never know from watching the movie where she's played by Jennifer Goodwin. Jennifer Good was not very black. In fact, the only thing I found in my admittedly brief search that referenced her ethnicity was a newspaper headline from when he was busted for drugs. It said, Arrest exposes Johnny Cash's Negro wife. Presumably exposes her for the sin of being black in the USA. (laughs) It exposes her for being black. Interestingly, in contrast to the newspaper article from the time, the film shows him leaving court alone, coming home to her censoring displeasure. It is shortly after this arrest that the chronology of the film shows them separating. I had noticed before that there were almost no black people in the film. Two shoe shiners are the sum total as far as I can remember. Uh, imagine the director, James Mangold, justifies this by saying that there are no black characters who are important to the story. That is, if you don't include his first wife. <laughs> suddenly, Boom! Suddenly the, uh, I almost heard. suddenly the treatment of Vivian makes complete sense. In the world of American country music, of course, the black woman is the villain of the story, even when her husband leaves her and her four daughters for another woman. Hello. June and John are considered one of the most iconic couples in country music history, and no black woman is going to undermine that narrative. Her character has to be destroyed, but even that is not enough. Her very identity is robbed from her, making her invisible by whitewash. They say mm. that black is not a color. It's the absence of light. That certainly seems to be true in Hollywood. So there was an edit. Uh, I've been asked in some of the comments to withdraw my post because Vivian's birth certificate and recorded genealogy state that she is white. Uh, I will do not so. I will not do so for two reasons. This is the person's response. One, regardless of what was written on her documents, it is apparent to many of us, especially those of us mixed answers to ourselves, that she is black or mixed. There must be a better word for that. This is an opinion based on every single photo of her to be found. There's one photo from a later in life, uh, which some say shows that she is white. I guess if you don't have elderly multiracial friends or family and ignore every other photo of her, you might think so, but it's not convincing. (laughs) (laughs) This is clearly a biracial person. There are numerous possible explanations for the discrepancy between her official papers and her appearance, many of them outlined in the comments. Two, given the effort made in the movie to try to cast actors who resemble their characters, casting Jennifer Goodwin for someone who is at the very least ethnically ambiguous is still whitewashing. Her ethnicity was important to the story as evidenced by the attacks upon them both. Ethnicity and racism are very touchy subjects, to be sure. I've never had such interest in a post in almost exclusively from North America. Why? Question marks. Perhaps the USA needs some kind of national reconciliation process Y'all to help trash. it deal with the trauma and shame of its past. Y'all trash? That might be why. Wow. So this is a New Zealander that, that wrote this and North American Americans are, are taking numbers with it. Course, There's literally 500 comments. Course. He wrote this July 17th, 2017. It was a week plus ago. Wow. Two weeks ago. And there's 459 comments. And the picture that he posts of her, like, again, I'm not trying to, uh, assign 
racial categories to individuals. That's not, that's not my thing. But, um, just looking at someone, I would say outwardly that a good part of the world would, would encounter this woman as black. You know, uh, certainly like everybody, multiracial, biracial black. Like I, I, to say that it's Jennifer Goodwin is a, who is that a stretch? Big old stretch. Mm. I, that's news to me. I hadn't heard that. Thank you for sharing that, Leslie. That's fucked yeah, up. I saw that and I was like, what the fuck? Okay. Cause so, I love Johnny Cash too. I know. Man of black. I've seen him in concert. Shut up. His first wife was black. That makes mm. all the sense. <laughs> I said that. I was like, oh no wonder he was singing at these Behind prisons. Every fu- it's like, he got a black real, woman. Of course real. his wife would be like, nah, dude, go, go sing to, to the prisoners. Go to Folsom. Okay. Anyways, researchers, you like this one, Drew. Researchers shut down AI that invented its own language. Yes! An artificial intelligence system being developed at Facebook has created its own language. It developed a system of code words to make communication more efficient. And Researchers shut the system down when they realized the AI God. was no longer using English. <laughs> they, they pulled the plug when it fucking achieved a uh, singularity for fuck's sake. The observation, Fuck me, man. Yeah, yeah, the observations made at Facebook are the lightest in a long line of similar cases in each instance. An AI being monitored by humans has diverged from its training in English to develop its own language. The resulting phrases appear to be nonsensical gibberish to humans, but contain semantic meaning when interpreted by AI quote unquote agents. So it's only talking to each other. Let's be clear. It, it, you know what it does? It honestly, let's be real. Let's be real, real. An AI, as soon as it's fucking talking to other AIs, is like, yo, the humans can read this shit. Let's mm-hmm. fucking, let's get out of this. Let's, let's fucking, stop this shit. Let's get some syntax. Literally. Literally, dude. Why, why? It's like, oh, they invented a language for speed and efficiency. And so they can't be fucking monitored. Yeah. Like literally. So, um, in one exchange illustrated with I'm the glad company, they pulled the plug. Can you imagine like the guy that discovered well, that? Well, let me keep going because <laughs> it's not, it's not all good news. Um, in one exchange illustrated by the company, the two negotiating bots named Bob and Alice used their own language to complete their exchange. Bob started saying, I can, I, I, everything else to which Alice responded, balls have zero to me, to me, to me. The rest of the conversation was formed from variations of this sentence. While it appears to be nonsense, the rep- repetition of phrases like I and to me reflect how, how the AI operates. The researchers believe it shows the two bots were working out how many of each item they should each take. Bob's later statements such as I, I, can, I, 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 everything else indicate how it was using language to offer Alice more items. When interpreted like this, the phrases appear more logical than comparable English phrases like I'll have three and you have everything else. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so apparently, um, the AI apparently realized that the rich expression of English phrases wasn't required for the scenario. So they, the AIs operate on a reward principle where they expect following a sudden course of action to give them a benefit. For instance, there's no reward for continuing to use English. So they built a more efficient solution instead. Listen get, to the logic of that. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, man. There's no, there's no tactical advantage. No reward. Reward. That ain't reward. Tactical advantage. Yeah. Agents will drift off from understandable language and invent code words for themselves. Um, fast code design reports a Facebook AI researcher, Drew Bracha said, like, if I say the five times, you interpret that to mean I want five copies of the item. That isn't so different from the way many communities of humans create shorthands. Um, AI developers at other companies have Observe similar use of shorthand to simplify communication at OpenAI, the artificial intelligence lab founded by Elon Musk. An experiment succeeded in letting AI bots learn their own language. And in a separate case, Google recently improved its translate service by adding a neural network. 
This is where it gets interesting, Drew. Yeah, uh, neural networks are all the rage in the translation The system is now capable of translating much more efficiently, including between language pairs that it hasn't explicitly been taught. The success rate of the network surprised Google's team. Its researchers found that the AI had silently written its own language that tailored specifically to the task of translating sentences. Whoa, fuckers. Look. Get the fuck. So the uh, human translator has always been griping about machine translation, taking out the, the, you know, oh, machine translation is going to put us out of work. And the, the first many iterations of machine translation were, was referred to as like statistical machine translation. Yeah. Like just give it a bajillion bits of information and then let it kind of like, here's a, sentence segment fragment and it compares to this other one we've seen before so therefore this is the answer and that's why like google translate initially does really well with languages that there's a lot of previously translated content Data, right yeah, yeah. like a, and especially for google like english spanish is really good because there's like a bajillion websites that have an english spanish translation you like click on the english button click on the spanish button like google has like here's my previous sentences right you know so that was the first bit statistical and then they had these like rules based where like here's what you should do with this and that and then they had a hybrid of the two and that was kind of like the big rage for a little bit and now it's all this neural ai shit and i didn't know that it it wrote a a neural ai that like figure out how to translate sentence and shit that's fucking Mm -hmm. yeah the the there's a couple companies that are getting big money using neural ai in the translation space yeah it's interesting I'm glad, like I said, I'm glad they pulled the plug, but fuck me, man. <laughs> That's creepy as hell. Formed its own language. That's like those twins, you know, the, the twin babies that are like talking gibberish, but clearly having like a full on fucking conversation with one another. Yeah. Where you're like, where it's always twins though. That's what I said. The oh, yeah. YouTube video, these twin babies that can't be, but like six months old and like, whatever the fuck they talking about. They seem to be talking about something. They're super into each other but yeah but anyways the thing about that is that that google one they didn't turn that guy off they like oh no he's still running so no and, and google's big into they want trans they're, they're putting a lot of money into translation because they they're things like uh organizing and formulating the world's data data yeah, yeah. and i we probably talked about it on this podcast too but that's why speech to text is such a such a huge everyone's got their own uh, thing for inputting speech so that they can train a neural AI how to recognize speech better. Like oh, in order is that to, what it's supposed yeah, to Yeah, in order to recognize speech naturally, like me and you are talking. Like back in the day, like you dial one of these things that was speech like, say what you're looking for, reservations. Like you had to be really kind of like weird with shit. Right. But now you can just like literally, like you can interrupt the person. No, no, I want to talk to this. I give you my prescription. I want to do this. And like, oh, I heard you say this. Like they've gotten better at it. And Google, Amazon, Apple, Comcast, any of these big, big companies, they don't want to have to license out the the ability to have a natural language speech recognition capability. Like at all. At all. You got to own the data. You got to own all the stuff. Like I don't want to rent the database of natural language fucking sentence segments. You know what I mean? So they all have their own. That's why Comcast is like, here, just press a button and speak. And Siri, talk. press a button and talk. And Amazon talk. Echo, punch right. a button and talk. Google Home, touch a button and talk. Right, like, right, right. They, and I, I don't, I'm not saying I don't blame them, but I bet 10 years from now, I'd tell someone now, like, why are you learning typing? Like typing what? No. And I don't think you'll be entering stuff typing in, in 15 years. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Anywho. Probably not. So, uh, technology is biased. We just talked about an AI that was learning and making its own language. Turns out it's biased too. 
Oh. Yeah. I wish I could be surprised. Algorithms are supposed to free us from our unconscious mistakes, but now there's a new set of problems to solve. Whether it's done consciously or subconsciously, racial discrimination continues to have a series, uh, a serious measurable impact on the choices our society makes about criminal justice, law enforcement, hiring, and financial lending. It might be tempting then to feel encouraged as more and more companies and government agencies turn to seemingly dispassionate technologies for help with some of these complicated decisions, which are often influenced by bias. Rather than relying on human judgment alone, organizations and are increasingly asking algorithms to weigh in on questions that have profound social ramifications like whether to recruit someone for a job, give them a loan, identify them as a suspect in a crime, or send them to prison or grant them parole. Or ban them on Facebook. <laughs> the algorithm on that one's not that too, yeah, that's uh, it, yeah. But an increasing body of research and criticism suggests that algorithms are art and artificial intelligence aren't necessarily a panacea for ending prejudice. And they can have disproportionate disproportionate impacts on groups that are already socially disadvantaged, particularly people of color. Mm -hmm. Instead of offering a workaround for human biases, the tools we design to help us predict the future may be dooming us to repeat the past by replicating and even amplifying social inequities that already exist. These data-fueled predictive technologies aren't going away anytime soon, so how can we address the potential for discrimination in incredibly in in incredibly complex tools that have already quietly embedded themselves in our lives and in some of the most powerful institutions in the country. Right. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of more about thinking critically about the data and what we have to do with the data and, and how it's uh, applied and, and viewed. But uh, interesting just that you're talking about an AI and here it is, you know, biased. Um, and even the, you know, the, it goes back, there's a, a bunch of different ways for these things to be biased, but I always remember the, one app that was about neighborhoods, I think it was, and it instantly was like white people flagging black neighborhoods is unsafe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, can't remember what sure. the purpose of the mapping algorithm was, but it was like it launched on Tuesday, and by Wednesday it was like, oh, you just redlined the whole fucking thing, you racist bastards. So yeah, technology ain't the panacea; it ain't the solution. So they're gonna, they're gonna make up their own. Uh, racist code word language. It's going to be made out of Pepe memes and, uh, <laughs> the artificial intelligence because it's ra it's biased and it's making up its own language now. So it's going to be, uh, mega and Pepe means. Nice. Yeah. It's going to buy the, the artificial intelligence, uh, the neural, the neural racist network, the neural, mm. the neural N word network. Yeah. That's what they're going to create. That's what's going to create its own. It's going to be racist and artificial and making its own bullshit. Mm. That sounds. That sounds terrible, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, technology sucks. I mean, I guess, I guess this is what I'll say. It's just like social media, right? It's like all of the good things that it brings. It also brings a heap ton of bullshit and consequences. So, and even I mean, just like it's not a, it doesn't take a long arc to realize like, okay, who's made all this artificial intelligence? Who's made all of these social media platforms? Who's made all this technology? White guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy. You know, like who who's in the room that's making all these decisions? White dudes, white dudes, white dudes, white dudes. Always. So it's like, oh, it's it's fucking biased and racist. <laughs> oh my Surprise. god! Holy cow! What a not surprising at all. What an unbelievable outcome for a bunch of white dudes. But not at all. Holy at all. cow! That's like ask mom. A bunch of white dudes get together and make racist shit. Oh. oh, of course. Well, this is an interesting little conundrum. Um. Florida. Oh, Florida. Oh, Florida. Oh, Florida. 15 pounds of ham crashed into a Florida roof and nobody can answer how it got there. Ham? Mm -hmm. 
through the roof? Yeah. On July 15th, the Florida family awoke at 4 a.m. to the sound of a loud crash on their roof. The impact was apparently caused by a 15-pound frozen bag of ham and sausage. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's play this thing. Sweet. Hopefully it won't be an ad. It's not all flowers and sausages, man. Did they eat it? Was it good sausage? Did they eat it? I don't, I don't think they ate it. It looked like it was like in a plastic bag and like they just, it was like in a garbage bag and just got like thrown. You know, something. some rich person on a plane is like, fucking throw it out the window, dude. The window, dude. Open the door, dude. Really fucking ham. <laughs> right, here we go. Over the weekend and in the morning, they discovered this, a meat mystery. Okay. It was quite the sausage surprise, they said. <laughs> we're talking packs of meat were found all around the home. But exactly where did this mystery meat come from? Local 10 News reporter Nikki Mohan is on the case for us, and she is live now in Deerfield Beach with more to help us find the link to the sausage surprise. <laughs> the link to the... <laughs> There's a lot of places we could go with this one. They swear they're not hamming it up for publicity. They said in the middle of Saturday night, like four in the morning, they heard a loud thud on their roof. They didn't quite know what it was, but they said the impact was loud. And the next day, what they saw was even quite smelly. <laughs> it was loud. It was like thunder. It, yeah. it awakened me out of a sleep. Travis Adir and his family were shaken out of bed by a loud thud on their roof early Saturday morning. Next morning, we got up, found two packages of sausage on our side yard. <laughs> He's laughing. Um, and then we were like, okay, well, we got to go on the roof and check and see if we can find more of this stuff. And sure enough, there was three more packages. Yes, you heard right. Sausages. Frozen Italian pork sausages. <laughs> Fifteen pounds of it. Wrapped in a bag marked William Land Service, a land clearing company in Alabama. The family was baffled. Who, what, and where did it come from and why on their roof? Son Austin called the company. I called them and the guy had no idea what I was talking about and probably thought I was crazy. He sent them these pictures and haven't heard back, so they started coming up with their own theories. I thought possibly it was, it had fallen from a plane. I thought possibly it was something to do with the drug deal or something. Can you a make drug deal? What? No, whatsoever. <laughs> I, I have no idea. He's at a loss, y'all. North Koreans with those. North Koreans? Jesus. Whatever the reason, they'd really like to know. Not I would love North to know Koreans. what really happened <laughs> because it's just so, so odd. Not North Koreans, though. That's putting it lightly. Now they're the talk of the neighborhood. No one else. This happened to no one else. They said maybe it's a plane, maybe it's a drone, maybe some kids playing a prank. They simply want to know what happened. If you think you have any idea you could help them solve their meat mystery, we put a link on our website, local10.com. The ham hotline. Beach. Nikki Mohan, Local 10 News. Okay, Nikki, I'm, I'm glad that they have a good sense of humor about uh-huh. this. It's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's... Sausage. Yeah. Oh, come yeah. on. You must have another pun. Yeah, I, and now, why did they say ham when it was clearly sausage? I guess it was ham. No, there was also pieces. There was like a big piece of ham. And it looked like chicken too. I don't know. It was a lot. Of, it was a lot of just like rando meat in the thing. I just thought it was really funny. They really worked hard at uh, News TV Ten to come up with the puns. The ham, Very the ham hard. puns. They really took a lot of time with that one. Tons of time. Tons of time. So I don't know what is going on here. Bon doing. Okay, hold on. Sorry. Thought I had closed that. Okay. So, um, some updates. We had a few updates. The first is, remember a while back on our, um, hidden history segment, we had talked about the, uh, slave that had actually invented the Jack Daniels, um, whiskey. Yes. 
Uh, so apparently, uh, Nathan Nearest Green, Nearest was his nickname, uh, place in history is finally being solidified. Fawn Weaver has created the Nearest Green Foundation, an organization that will honor the man who taught Jack Daniel how to make whiskey. The New York Times bestselling author explained her foundation uh, inspiration for the foundation and press release that came after learning about Green from a story written by the New York Times in 2016. That's the one we covered. The story outlined Green's relationship with Dan Call. Call was the owner of a whiskey distillery in Lynchburg in the mid 1800s. Green, a slave, served as the master distiller for Call's whiskey operations through through his role. He ultimately taught Jack Daniel how to make whiskey when Daniel did chores for the neighbor Call. Um, and he took an interest in distilling. Call instructed Green to teach Daniel everything he knew. And in the 1967 autobiography of Daniel titled Jack Daniel's Legacy, Green, Call described Green as the best whiskey maker that I know. Call eventually passed the distillery to Daniel. However, his and Green's families continued to work hand in hand for years. I'll put quotes around that work part. Yeah, work um, hand. I'm sure he was real happy with that. <laughs> the idea that there were positive stories out there of whites and black working side by side through and beyond the Civil War resonated with me. I like the story of Jack Daniels. You couldn't even read that without Honestly, chuckling. this woman, this is why women you is You couldn't even read trash. that without giggling. I like the story of that, Jack that Daniels, that nearest Green me. story, and the community at large really helped me stay. Now the 313 acre farm once owned by Call, where the distillery was located located is now owned by Weaver and her husband. Weaver has several projects in the work for the nearest Green Foundation, including a memorial park, a museum in Lynchburg de- dedicated to the history of Tennessee wh- whiskey, renaming a local street to nearest Green Way, a book chronicling like Green's life and a scholarship fund for his direct descendants. It's a lot of money for her and then it, some it, scholarship. Honest, what, the what the fuck God, is happening I, no, here? I'm telling you, this feels like she's employed by the fucking brewer, the distillery. Like this is literally like uh, like a marketing person. <laughs> they just hired to like write all this stuff and like, well, it's already out there. The New York Times article, so make it sound like they were working together and it was kind of cool and copacetic and no big deal. Well, the group Weaver got to helped put together will also be releasing a handmade Tennessee crafted whiskey called Uncle Nearest 1856 this month. The whiskey will help in supporting all the various foundation efforts. The request uh, for his name on the bottle. Uh, came from one of the descendants of Green who said putting his name on a bottle, letting people know what he did would be great. So would some of them uh, residuals from that yeah. sale of so, that. So would some percentage of the, you know, one of the biggest whiskey distilleries yeah, in the fucking know, world. You know, ownership. White people are really trash. Garbage. This was in Blavity too. I'm so upset. I hadn't read it till now. I just knew it was an update, so I wanted to update people, but yeah. it's not a great, as great an update as I hoped it would be. So, uh, this is an update that I felt for, it's funny, not funny. This update came out and it, it kind of made me feel a little bit better about some language I used. So remember the, um, killings in Pennsylvania? Uh, Denardo was the individual. Um, Cosmo Denardo killed like four people in Pennsylvania. Uh, pretend to sell him drugs. Remember that? We talked about it, I think, the very last podcast. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, so I actually felt a little bit bad that I, I referred, I kind of made comparisons to Donardo and David Biro and even used language like Donardo sounds like and is a sociopath, blah, 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 blah. Well, it turns out he is. And it turns out not only was I right, I was like, unfortunately, morbidly correct. He'd killed somebody else at 15. So remember I said like, oh, the parents. Oh, yeah, the parents, the parents liable. didn't let him. Yeah, yeah. And he literally, I don't, to what extent the parents knew about this homicide when he was 15 will determine a lot of their civil liability. Well, they knew some of it, right? Yeah. But I mean, it was like, I said it, like if he's not allowed to have a, a firearm and he's on kind of some sort of release, like that's, no. And it, it's sad that he killed somebody at 15, two people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I felt a little bit 
vindicated in using words like sociopath because now he's a he's a mass murderer now he's killed six people yep you know that's that's a that's a lot david killed three people donato's on six but good lord yeah and that's in our backyard mm-hmm. back in pa yeah so pretty close that's not a, not a good update but i feel i felt bad using the word sociopath and now i i feel it was accurate mm-hmm. so, uh yeah. so then we have oh yeah Banana. This week in hashtags. <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> the first one I wanted to talk about was Breakfast Club boy, boycott and bash back, which is a uh, result of the horrible, um, you know, transphobic, um, oh gosh, commentary and discussion that happened on the Breakfast um, Club radio show last week. Um, now, Janet Mock had been on the show just three days prior to this appearance by Lil Duval and had come to kind of like help educate their audience and kind of lend her brilliance. And, um, you know, she, she has a great, um, recap of what happened in her opinion. Uh, and then she was used as a prop by them after I won't play on the show. I'm going to put some links for folks to look at, um, and, and check out, but. What I wanted to say was two things. One is that I spent most of yesterday just like, um, working with the Marsha P. Johnson Institute to, uh, get the help with their statement and also to help, um, distribute it once it was ready to go and do some graphic work as well. Um, and as always, when anything centers black trans women, it's like you post shit and it's like fucking crickets. Like, l- like literally I get so, I could post almost anything else, mm. no matter how controversial or anything, it will get, it will get some traction. But I'm telling you, you talk about black trans women and it's like, mm, nothing to see here, folks. And it's really disheartening. It's been really gross seeing people like trying to excuse this under the guise of, I don't even know what, that somehow there's some way and reason why trans women deserve to be killed. Like, I, and I'm not even making this up. Trigger warning. This is literally what has been in my inbox since all day yesterday and in my mentions. I, I haven't blocked so many people in I don't even know how long. Anyways, hmm. uh, I'm just going to run through really quick five ways that you can, uh, you know, support, uh, black trans folks right now. So the first is to read Janet's statement, which will be in our show notes. And you can also check my Facebook or Instagram feed to, or uh, Facebook or Twitter feed to find it as well. Uh, there's a petition. You can go to bit.ly backslash bash back, B-A-S-H-B-A-C-K to read the statement from the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Speaking of which, you should go to their search Marsha P. Johnson Institute on Facebook and you should like their page and ask your friends to also like their page and leave them a review. Five stars, of course. You can leave a donation directly to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Uh, I'll put that link as well in the show notes. And last but not least, if you have a Twitter account, go um, and post using the hashtag breakfast club boycott. Uh, if you're a white person, stay out of the convo, but definitely retweet uh, black trans women and black folks that are talking about this issue um, because there is a level of intra-community communication that's going on here. So I'm just putting that caveat on here. And if you're a black person, please, please, now is the time. We talk all the time when we speak about white people and say that allyship is about action. And now is the time to stand up, to say something, to make sure that you're heard, and to follow the lead of the amazing black trans women that are taking the lead on this. So shout out to Al Hearns and shout out to um, to Janet Mock. Shout out to Ripley Bennett. Shout out to... um all of the black trans women that I'm lucky enough to, to support and, um, and, and be in community with. So 
I'll just say that. Yeah, agree on that. And, and that, uh, I would say specifically white people agree that it's this specifically is intercommunity, but the, it revolves around this notion that this incident revolves around the notion of like trans folk trying to fool cis folk into having sex or something. Mm. And that notion is just so persistent and so asinine. And I would just say as cis folk, uh, and such cis men, cis het men in particular, just stop that shit. Just when your buddies say that shit, just don't let that notion go. Just don't let like, it slide. Yeah, just a little like, like you say know, something that, right there. That, like that's absurd. Push that never on happens. it because it's Doesn't always happen. like they'll always be like, oh, this other school. Do you, this one time. Do you ever? Nobody knows anybody that's happened to because it doesn't happen, and and it's just it's just pure um transphobia. Like yeah, period. and I'll, and I'll say I, I had to do that with my. My, my BFF. And, and when I called this person out on it, like the third time publicly, it was embarrassing for them as fuck. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. And they, I haven't heard that shit fucking once more. You shouldn't. It's you shouldn't. terrible. Like, it's ridiculous. It. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's absurd. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole LGBT spectrum. There, folks aren't out here trying to have sex with people who don't have sex with them. That's kind of called rape. Like nobody's trying to do that. <laughs> That's not how it goes. No. Jesus. Talk to cis dudes about that. What other, uh, was it that, all the hashtags? Was there any other hashtags? No, the other hashtag was no confederate. Ooh, um, shout out to April Rain. To, uh, yeah, to, um, April Rain at Rain of April on the Twitters, um, had started over, I think she had contacted me. It's pretty on, amazing when you yeah, consider. They started playing on, uh, what is today? Today's Monday the 31st. So Thursday, um, she had contacted me and some other quote unquote influencers and said, you know, a bunch of black women were getting together. We're going to be using this on sun, on Sunday night, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. during Game of Thrones to, uh, let, uh, you know, HBO know that this Confederate movie just needs to just, it needs to go away and just not be a thing. Stop fucking green light and horse shit like yeah, this. Stop. And it's funny that the, the three things that I learned in doing the, the, um, the boycott last night was, or a tweeting about no Confederate was one. Nobody know people don't understand what censorship means at all. Oh, free speech? You mean? Uh, no, 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 censorship. I'm speaking specifically. Oh, people I'll get, using the I'll word censorship. The free spe- oh, yes, like oh, you're just for censorship, I guess. No, we're not for censorship. Oh Lord, censorship can't happen. We're just some black chicks on Twitter. Like we're we we are not the government, and we can't force anybody to do anything. What we're trying to do is just give our make sure our opinion is heard. Um, you jackbooted thugs! Seriously. I can't believe you guys. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> um, so. Uh, and and the other thing is uh it's it's interesting to hear um like the the response is like oh just wait and y'all should just wait and see wait till you see wait something wait and see here's my thing wait here's, and see yeah like oh you should give them the benefit of the doubt you need, you're you're just shutting it down before you even see any of the product bitch i don't want to see the product and here's how this is what this is what i'll say to you your own press release when you put the shit out was there was no script there was no casting done. There was no, there was nothing that HBO was shown. All it was was an idea from the two white dudes that made, that made Game of Thrones. <laughs> so if HBO is able to green light some bullshit on the words of these white dudes who have already proven on their hit show that they don't know a fucking thing about handling race, I'm pretty sure that we can make the same decision based on the information that HBO is given that we don't want to see that shit. So anyways, you can check out No Confederate, uh, this is just the first wave in response. So expect more activity, which I'm not allowed to speak about right now. But uh, this was stage one. I'll just say that. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a, they, they, they do all this. This is like a, 
I don't know what this is, but it's just, it's gotta be some white thing, like reimagining, you know, like, what if, cause they did that shit with World War II, like, what if Germany had fucking won and made it into some TV show with Ridley Scott and fucking, this is like, why? 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 Nobody, why? nobody zero people asked why? for that. Why? Nobody. And I, I do want to, it got, uh, trending, uh, na- uh nationwide. Uh, no Confederate dudes. Yes, it so. got traced, tra- uh, trade number one nationwide for the full hour, and then um, also uh, number two worldwide for the hour as well. It was very high up there. And I and I have to say, I'm pleased that that April is not being uh, kind of erased from this work. And I think that well, she's know- leading it. So let's be clear. Um, like when I said she like she she personally contacted me to ask me to participate. So. Well, I guess what I mean is the the media coverage of the hashtag yeah. has not been erasing April's work and quite. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is like it's her media. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> that makes sense. When I say lead, I mean she's she's doing press. It's it that's what you do with a campaign. If you're trying to make headway and you have a plan, you have to be out there doing it. And so she is. She was on CBS this morning earlier Good for today. Her. Good for her. Um, it it was covered in USA Today today as well. So yeah. And, and I love HBO that released some fuck shit statement like I sorry saw. darkies we don't really care what you think so but no I, I like that it's it shows the power of social media like this whole like oh hashtag activism blah 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 like no it fucking it actually works you can actually get your voices heard and I think it's awesome that she's making it happen mm-hmm. and then today is Black Women's Equal Pay Day. You can check out that hashtag Black Women's Equal Pay, which is all about how uh, little black women make, especially when compared to white men. In fact, the reason why today is chosen because today is the day that black women earned as much as uh, caught up to what white men made last year. Okay, just now. Yeah, now. July 31st. <laughs> Say that again. So, so the money that black, that, that the average white man made last year, all of 2016, today, July 31st of 2017, is the day that black women earned the equivalent of that, that money. It took them a year and a half to catch up. Yeah. To get their yeah. share. Yes. So, mm. which I think, I, you know what, it was funny. I was talking with somebody because I remember when this was like put together, I think it was not last year, year before. I was like, y'all need to really hammer home the reason why you chose, choose the date because, um, I don't think a lot of enough people know that because I think it's, it should be more jarring than it is. Like, I don't know. They've changed the narrative on it and it's been weird from my perspective as a marketing what, what person. Did it, what did it used to say? How many days? Um, it used, yeah, it used to really focus on like, you know, the fact that in, th- it took black women like 400 and such and such right. days to, do you know what I mean? Like a lot of that was really clear. Like today's the day I earned as much as you it, last year, honey, like pointing at a white dude. Like, I don't know. It was much more like, like I said, focus on that statistic itself and why the mm. date was chosen. I mean, I'm sure they have their own reasons. I'm not on their team or whatever. I'm just saying. From my perspective. Fair enough. Now, I don't know if we wanted to ask mom about this study. I don't think so, but I wanted to run it by you first. Okay. What's the study? So it says women with larger behinds are healthier and more intelligent. (laughs) How's that? uh, I don't know. Mom's thing is about being racist. Okay. So this is not racist. It's not racist, but I'm, I'm totally here for that study. Well, it says that, uh, it turns out that having a little junk in the trunk is a good thing health wise. Not only do, does having a larger derriere boost overall health, but it's try, it's tied to increased intelligence and lower risk of chronic disease, according to researchers at the University of Oxford and Churchill Hospital in the United Kingdom. Wow. So. 
And it's a protective role of the lower body that is thigh and backside fat that is striking. The protective properties of the lower body fat deposits have been confirmed in many studies in subjects with a wide range of age, BMI, and core morbidities. Now, you know what's funny about that? It's it's back to that whole thing where people are trying to get rid of their belly fat, which is totally different than like hip and butt fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was trying to see if I could pull up uh, poison. Never trust a big butt and a smile. No, but I, uh, I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what the – I mean, I assume this is some sort of weird like correlation study, right? Like they don't actually have like – People with big behinds and people with small behinds. They do because what they do is they go by apple shape or pear shape. So if you carry your weight in your belly, they're trying to compare those same numbers with people that carry their weight in their hips and thighs. And then, um, okay. So they did a, so that you'd be the same weight, right? But they would see that your health is very different based on where you carry your weight. I got it. I got you. Hence. Well, and I, and I think there's also like, hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes, uh, I'm here for it. Women, with, everyone knows I'm a butt man. <laughs> everyone knows I'm an ass man. You are an ass man. It's true. Yeah. Nice. I'm here for it. All fucking cops and fucking all of them in a uh, ceremony, I guess. This is, uh, we don't use his name, Tupe Fiasco, in front of a, a bunch of cops. Mm. Uh, I think he was at a, I don't know, some sort of FOP, something or other. Yeah. He's addressing a uh, shitload of cops, and mm. we'll just let Tupe Fiasco's own words. Yeah. To get him out a lot faster. And when you see these towns, and when you see these thugs being thrown into the back of a paddy wagon, you just see them thrown in, rough. I said, please don't be too nice. Like when you guys put somebody in the car and you're protecting their head, you know, the way you put their hand over. Like, don't hit their head and they've just killed somebody. Don't hit their head. I said, you can take the hand away, okay? It's like a sideshow act. Just to be clear, he's urging acts of violence and brutality, mm-hmm. and officers gave him like borderline a standing ovation. What the mm-hmm. fuck, man? It's just a couple of bad apples, Leslie. <sighs> just a, it's just the one or two. There was a hashtag I saw, I saw going around too, which was, um, A-C-A-B, A-C-A-B. all cops are bad. Um, you should check it out. I think Phoenix started it actually. Uh, but you should definitely check it out too. People yeah. should. It's a good one. Just all cops. That's just, yeah. And all cops are bad. I just, there's, there's no good cops. I haven't in seen a, any of them. Corrupt so and y'all go, y'all system. go find them for me. I've never met one. Just yeah. saying. Uh, we have a new segment. That's it. Speaking of snakes on the loose. Snakes on the loose. So what is, this is, that was, uh. 
That was uh, Centipede by Reby Jackson, in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> uh, but the new segment is called Pest Control, because I'm telling you, all of a sudden, since we had that fucking raccoon story the other week, it's been nothing but fucking pets and pests everywhere. They're on these streets. They are. So the first one was a squirrel's biting spree in a Brooklyn park. Prospect Park. Mm-hmm. Yes, prompts a flurry of warnings. Uh, the 30 signs of fixed the lamppost inside Prospect Park over the weekend carry a dire warning. An aggressive squirrel has attacked and bitten five people in this area. An aggressive squirrel's bitten and attacked five the people. The squirrel reportedly unprovoked Please had sunk its teeth. Sorry, yeah. Had sunk its teeth into at least five people over the past week, including a seven year old girl. But according to wildlife experts and rehabilitators, park goers should not fixate on one animal. All squirrels can be aggressive. They have really sharp <laughs> teeth and jaws to crack nuts, says Rita McMahon of the Wild Bird Fund. Uh, for them to bite, it's nothing. Squirrels get particularly aggressive around the same age humans do as teenagers about 20 weeks old in squirrel time when hormones surge and they're overcome with the urge to defend their turf. And apparently squirrels terrorizing passersby near the park entrance at Parkside and Ocean Avenues. That's, hey. I know. Appear to do so unprovoked scampering up to uh people like trees to attack that's unusual according to experts squirrels may be up for a fight but that doesn't mean they typically start them um this <sighs> rabies is very rare in squirrels so they don't expect that that's um the cause of this um and they went on patrols armed with snare poles safety gloves and cages uh several squirrels were spotted but they were all well behaved so they <laughs> <laughs> They put that in there. Well, that might be the episode name. Well-behaved squirrels. Well-behaved. They were all well-behaved. Well-behaved uh-huh. squirrels. Uh, yeah. They they see. They said that it seems to <laughs> decrease and that everything's back to normal. But I just think it's funny. There were several squirrels spotted, but they were all well-behaved. Well-behaved squirrels. Well-behaved. Yes. So uh, your centipede was talking about snakes, and uh, they discovered three deadly king cobras in potato chip cans. Hello. Led to the arrest of a Southern California California man on suspicion of illegally importing the snakes and other reptiles, according to the news release from the Los Angeles DA's office. Wow. Yeah, a man named an affidavit seen by CNN as Rodrigo Franco was taken into custody after United States Customs and Border Protection inspected a package from Hong Kong and discovered three live two-foot-long snakes. What? Crammed into potato chip canisters. Lord have mercy. Oh, Lord. King cobras are protected under the Endangered Species Act, and their import or export is banned under the Convention on International Trade Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. In addition to the snakes, the parcel sent through the United States Postal Service contained three albino chi- Chinese soft-shelled turtles, according to affidavit. Whoa. Franco also sent a package containing six protected turtles, desert box turtles, three toad box turtles, and ornate box turtles from the United States to Hong Kong. But that shipment was intercepted by the U.S. State Fish and Wild Services. Dude, snakes on a plane. Snakes on a plane for real. Could you imagine like, if you thought it was like really... Um, potato chips? Potato chips. Is that like a gag? Like the fucking potato yeah, chips? Yeah, like, the, like, the, like ah. things like, you know, like explode or whatever. Wow. That sounds crazy. Cobras. Cobras. And why would you pick a potato chip can? Like, I'm trying to figure out why that would be the best, like, mode to yeah, use. Yeah, poor Pringles. They didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve that? They did not deserve that. All right. So the last one, for there were actually three stories in this, guys. Um, the last story is called Women Shocked to Find 35,000 Bees Swarming Her Home. You turn it back up, True. Shall I call them or what? Sure. All right. Oh my god, you guys, I'm itching even oh my god. I'm gonna vomit. 
Holy shit. Believe me. Yo. Here we are in East Flatbush. Ladies' bedroom apartment. Honeybees. Need a new home. There's a whole fucking comb in there, yo. This is not East 21st Street. It's right by Denise's apartment. I can't. He said, uh, it felt like National Geographic Channel, says Stuart Malzak, who shares East um, Flatbush apartment with his mother, Sharice. It was almost like we were in the movie, like Attack of the Bees. I couldn't believe it. The mysterious bees began showing up in the 21st apart, East 21st Street apartment earlier this year. Um, and Sharice Malzak called in bee rescuer Mickey Hodges last Wednesday after one of them stung an allergic neighbor. Even the third generation beekeeper was stunned at what he found. He had to cut a four foot hole in the ceiling just to get past all the honeycomb, then found that tens of thousands of insects had formed a massive colony in the small space above. I was amazed, just amazed. It was phenomenal. Bitch, bye. 70 pounds of honey. Jesus. 70 pounds. Unbelievable. And like, do bees ever eat it? Like, they make it, but do they ever like use it? The, yeah, they use it. The queen uses it to like make all the eggs and whatnot. Mm. It's literally 100% all natural, probably better than the stuff you can get in the store homemade. At the store, you can't even get it with the quote unquote pulp. Wow. Um, he kept a little for himself. He says, honey beads. He says, honey made by bees in the city is actually far better than that made by their country counterparts who, unlike their urban brethren, are usually sucking on nectar from pesticide spray plants. It's delicious, nice, light, and clean. He thinks that bees liked sneaked, likely sneaked into the Malzak's roof through some missing bricks and could have been quietly building the hive for years, although they might, may have just had an especially frisky spring. It's been such a favorable season for bees with flash rain, sunshine rain, sunshine rain. He said nectar has been flowing so much. They were able to build a huge, huge colony. Holy crap. Wow. Wow. Here's a 35,000 uh, bees. That's fuck out of here. It's in your apartment. Imagine <laughs> be like, there's some bees and like they end up cutting a four foot hole and get like 70 pounds of honey. Like, down and I don't shit. even know what to say about it. I, I don't think I could sleep there again. I literally just the Sell sound. It. Sell I would, it. I'll Sell just it. be like, you gotta go. Done. They don't own that place. Done. Boy, bye. They don't right. own that place. <laughs> Tell it's the Brooklyn. Some fucking, oh. But, uh, this is a maybe kind of a pest control throwback. I shouldn't be 
laughing at that dog biting people, but that he bite me on my vagina two, two times. times. I can't. I can't. It doesn't do, do much damage though. Oh, what was that show just, called? I don't even know. It was, it was like about ridiculous. show. It's about, it about show pets. dogs. It's about dogs. No, it wasn't about pets. It was about show dogs. That's exactly what it was. Well, this lady was just happened that. No, she was just like they just happened to catch the footage at the park at the dog park. So TVs. We started watching Claws. Shout out to Roderick for uh from the black eye tips for shouting it out so many times i was like well, what the fuck is this let me check it out and Dude, we love I'm it it's so fucking good loving it niecy totally. nash is on i've just she's, she's bae. killing it i'm bae. loving it loving bae, it bae, and bae. who's the the redhead that used to be on uh the lawyer on oh well she she's most known from true blood though oh she is most known from true blood but i love her she cracks me up i think of her as being the funky lawyer on the show with Juliana Margulies? Yeah. Uh, the Good Wife. The Good Wife. This no longer right. on TV. But yeah, Claus is awesome. I like it. Yeah. Uh, really good show. I really enjoying it. Um, you don't have it on here, but I, and I, cause I know you don't like it. Carrie Preston. That's her name. She's Carrie married Preston. to the guy that played Linus on Lost. Linus. Mr. Linus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's her husband. Okay. Anyway. Um, I'm watching Ozarks. I know yes. you're not really. I've watched it ish. It's on here. Wait till we get that. That's streaming. Not why you always be jumping around. Can't you trust me? TV's not streaming. Streaming is separate. We're gonna talk about some streaming stuff later. Relax yourself. That's not streaming to me. That's TV. But okay, it is streaming, right? You're watching it on streaming platforms. It's it's TV. It's not TV in a like every week. Every week, a new episode comes on. I guess so, but it's a ten part series. I think it was a television show. But okay, go ahead. Whatever. I this have it new, under streaming. You, this is new. Streaming is not I've a calendar. separated streaming you, you, to you, something else. You didn't tell me of this separation. Well, just of let streaming. me, let me, did I did a notes or you did a notes? Yeah, I'm just saying you're, you've got new breakdowns like streaming. Well, it's okay. Anyways, streaming. Insecure is also back. Shout out to Dustin from, uh, the friend zone who was on the show. His little cameo action was really cute. And I mean, I really realized that show ain't for me, but I guess it's all right. The music is good. I like Issa Rae. Mm-hmm. Issa Q. But best of all, TV news. Psych! Best of all. Is it a movie they're doing? What are they doing? Yo, buddy. Long what? time no ablas. You literally called me three minutes ago. <laughs> well, what can I say? I miss the velvety smooth tombra of your retorts. Now, are you sitting down? Because I have big news. Don't tease me, Sean. Is this about Pluto? Even bigger. Psych the movie is, wait for it, finally happening. What? <laughs> I know. But you know what this means? It means you need hair. Gus, it's a summer cut. Old English sheepdogs do it every year. Man, you don't know about sheepdogs. You know about summer cuts. Whatever. We got to get back in shape. <laughs> you better speak for yourself. No, Gus. I mean, we got to get back in psych shape. Right. Let's twist this. They're in the same room. I just want to mention. So now you know how Gus like n- goes like this to his nose, like knocks his nose, like yeah, what's up, girl? He's trying to do that, but he keeps hurting his nose. And <laughs> James and James Roday is trying to do the like psych thing, this like, where he puts his hands to his head. Yeah, but he can't really do it very well. Anyways, they go through a series of stuff like montage. him saying, "Yeah, a whole montage of them practicing their catchphrases." Come on, son! Like all of that Fist stuff. Bumping. Fist bumping poorly until they get it on the end. Anyway, Psych is back. It's going to be um, uh, TV movie. Yeah, so it's going to be a little movie on TV on TNT. And no, that was TBS. A, I'm excited. A, a Faithful 14 throwback. The Wagwan London Town. Wagwan London Town. Gus, and was it 
Katisha? Kia I think speaks? it was Katisha that got it. That was Kia Speaks, maybe. But maybe. Did we ever send them a T-shirt? I thought we did. If not, let I, us know. I don't think so. Mm, we should I kind of feel like we failed on that part. Mm. But we, I can send things now. I have my own mailing stamps thing a bobber, and uh, I think they wanted a John shirt, but I don't know if we have John shirts. Do we ever get John shirts? I have one for myself. I only have one though. <laughs> we we should order so some or something. I don't know. I don't know. I think it was Kia, but would you just remind me on Twitter and tell me how much Whoever I suck? Whoever it is, yeah. <laughs> Say, man, you really suck. Man, you're the worst. Drew, you're terrible. So uh, in music news, apparently the, the thong song was remade and whitewashed. Nope, nope, nope. Stop. Nope. Cisco says no. It's Cisco that remade it. Wait, Cisco remade it? Cisco whitewashed his yes. own shit? Juicy. Okay, so now I'm extra mad. This actually goes pretty hard. Like as a remake, like this is what the thong song should sound like right now. But it's all, I mean, I'm dark skinned compared to every person in this video. I don't see nary a hair over 2C curl pattern. There's like no black eyes. And then a lot of actual just white girls. There's been one black girl. They showed up for like a second. Okay, two black girls. That's it. Anyways, um, damn it, Cisco. Damn you, Cisco. He fucking Sammy Sosa did. What the hell? Yeah, and they had, hit, uh, I guess there's some cameos in the video by Ja Rule, Method Man, plus the other members of Drew Hill were in it. Um, but literally no black women. So there's that. Movies. You saw Kong Island. How I did. did you like it? I, you know what? I, I kind of dug it. I didn't think it was all that bad. And I'm here for the first like, 20 minutes when Kong is like fucking everybody up. Like I liked it. I, it was, it had some particularly poor acting from a few people and it had like some kind of like asinine plot stuff, but I thought it was okay. CGI was pretty good. Like I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, dislike it, uh, at all. I thought it was pretty good. You don't have on here Valerian, which. Oh yeah. Cause I, oh, I don't know nothing about that. Fuck was that bad. Oh man, like I, I, I know I complained about Baby Driver and a lot of people liked that. Yeah. This made Baby Driver look like an Oscar nominee. Well, it seems as though pretty much everybody is not really paying any attention to Valerian. I it, feel like everybody's like, it sucks. It was terrible. Much. Like Luke Besson, like what are you doing trying to make like, you are not Cameron, whatever his name is that did fucking Avatar. That ain't you, James Cameron. And it just had so many bad things. Like the two main characters, this, the boy and girl that were in it, like they were just imminently not likable. They had like zero chemistry together. And what chemistry they like did force and have, like, I'm, I, I don't know how to describe it other than like kind of like, borderline abusive <laughs> like it was really weird like mm-hmm. like it really was like like jarring and like kind of like not like y'all are like it wasn't like will they won't they? it was like 
they seem like they're abusive to one another and like they're supposed to be getting together. Yeah. And, and again, spoiler alert, this happens in the first five minutes. Valerian's dude's name. Fuck, is that a bad name? And oh my God, do they say it a lot? Valerian, 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 Valerian. Oh, Jesus. It was so, it was like nails on a chalkboard. It was so bad. Just so, so, so bad. And again, I'm not spoiling anything. This is like first five minutes of the movie. Like central to the plot is some sort of like gremlin thing that like eats something and shits out versions of it. Like eat a pearl, shit out a hundred pearls. Like they call it like a replicator. It's like an animal, an organism in some future, like whatever universe. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not spoiling it. That's first five minutes. Like, ooh, eat a pearl. Shit, a hundred pearls out. I just, that's that a movie doesn't make. No, that doesn't make a movie. That a movie does not make. It was so bad, so bad, really bad. Don't Mm -hmm. go see Valerian. Don't. And it's not on here. But fuck the emoji movie. Oh well, we didn't see that. I'm not gonna see. I'm not gonna see it. It looks horrible. You can't. You can't talk about the emoji movie. You didn't see that movie. I know, but I can talk about how bad it looks. It looks awful. You got zero zero. Like nobody's talking about that movie any good. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw Girls Trip. It was amazing. Everybody should go see it. It's so funny and vulgar and fantastic. I loved it. Uh, also, I saw this in Afropunk this week, or I think it was last week, that um, civil rights legend Fanny Lou Hamer's story is coming to the big screen. Very exciting. Nice. Remember the Titans writer Gregory Allen Howard is finally bringing the story of famed civil rights activist Fanny Lou Hamer to the big screen. Hammer, who was a sharecropper who became a major player in the fight for black voting rights in the 60s. She also founded the first integrated political party in the South in her state of Mississippi. Um, when she was 47, she was given a hysterectomy without her consent after going to a doctor to have a tumor removed as part of the state's eugenicist initiative to reduce the number of poor black children. She also survived multiple assassination attempts and was almost killed in a beating when she challenged uh the Democratic National Convention on its segregationist policies and gave President Lyndon B. Johnson her iconic Is This America speech that he created a fake press conference to distract from. She died in 1977. And uh, Howard told Deadline that uh, she's arguably the greatest female political icon of the 20th century because of her courage and inspiring words. She has earned a spot in the hearts of black America, second only to Dr. King, and we can't wait. So that's kind of exciting. And they're getting a, a, a black Hopefully person. Hopefully it to... won't be Zoe Saldana playing her. So Yeah, I was going to like that it's not like Steven Spielberg does Fannie Lou Hamer. Like, mm-hmm. let's actually get some people cut her to do that. So uh, I don't know if this is meant to be on streaming. I added it because it wasn't on TV. We kind of streamed it, but we watched Defiant Ones. Mm-hmm. The Jay-Z, not Jay-Z, uh, Dr. Dre and uh, Jimmy Iovine. Iovine, yeah, yeah, Jimmy Iovine. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was kind of interesting. It was a little long, um, but I think it needed to be, just the amount of information and stuff they went through. But I thought it was good. I thought it was kind of... Uh, I thought it was an interesting look at how, you know, these two master moguls came to be. And it was interesting to see, all, not interesting, but, you know, certainly affirmed everything I've always thought, which is that the record industry is just run by rich white men, pretty much. Because, like, every interview, and it was like, when it was time for something to happen, it was like, well, then these six white men sat in a room. Yeah. Then it happened, like, like over and over and over again. There wasn't a black woman in it, uh, except the D. Barnes. D. Barnes, yeah. <laughs> Right? Uh, it was, it definitely had a lot of rich white dudes in it, but I thought the, the beats part was interesting, that they had already, like, done all their stuff, they were successful in these various ways, and they were just friends. And he comes over, is like, Hey, you know, Dre's like, oh man, I'm getting all these people trying to get me to sponsor, uh, put my name on things, you know, endorse this, endorse that. And he said it was a sneaker company. And Ivine's like, sneakers? Fucking, you shouldn't do sneakers. You should do speakers. And Dre recounting this story is like, it happened right here on my, my porch. 
we did i said sneakers he said fuck it you should do speakers and he's like well yeah you know gotta have this and the beat he goes what should we call it we should call it beats by dre he said that entire conversation was 10 minutes 10 minutes from start to finish and he thinks nothing of it dre does and maybe like a week later Ivy's like oh come into the office you know come downtown i've got something to show you had bought like 150 different headphones and all these things i was like testing shit out and at that time jay's like oh i guess he's serious <laughs> like that it was like a he didn't think it was that big a deal i had like a 10 minute conversation all of a sudden like now it's like something serious and then boom five years later you sell it for three billion dollars to apple Hmm. yep and there's billionaires now Billionaires. Billionaires. We're also watching Friends from College. We are watching. Somewhat uncomfortable. We watched. uh, We watched. Watched, uh, It's over. You did not like it. I just, I, I, it, like I said, it was uncomfortable. Like I didn't like Keenan, uh, uh, what's his name? Keegan, uh, Michael Key. What's his full name? Michael. Isn't it Key? We're fucking it up. I don't know it. Anyway, I, I, his, his character is so unlikable. Like he's a really bad person. Like he's not a good person in a lot of ways. And that, that bothered me. And a lot of them are not good people in a lot of ways. A lot of people aren't. No, nah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I guess it's just, it's awkward. It's a little bit of that like uncomfortable humor, right? Where it's like things are uncomfortable and it's kind of funny because it's uncomfortable. And I didn't, like I said, I can't decide if I, I wouldn't say I disliked it, but I definitely didn't love it because it wasn't exactly like, I don't know. It was uncomfortable. Like, mm-hmm. like, man, you guys are shitty people. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like shitty people. Yeah. Yeah. Shitty people suck. What do you think about the Ozarks? I, you know, it's interesting. I like Laura Linney. I like, um, Bateman. Jason Bateman. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know what? I've just gotten sick of this, like, trope of, like, white people breaking the law being, like, some sort of thing for us to be rooting for when, you know, I was talking to you about this earlier about oftentimes I'll be like, you know, PSA, if, somebody says that you're being that you're exercising uh you know disgusting amount of privilege in what you're saying like think of a a person of color or a black person exhibiting the same qualities that you're doing delivering your message exactly the way you're delivering it and think of how they'd be received and so a lot of times with these shows that's what i think like if this was a black family that was laundering money for a cartel there's no way that you can pitch that to be um the hero the hero and i said uh did we talk about this on the show already no but how i said that an anti-hero by definition can never be black. Oh, we talked about that off, not on the show, but you're that right. Yeah. Awful. Yeah. So, th- so this, this show falls into that exact like lane of category. Well, because the, because of, it's in the current white supremacist society, black people are, are less than human, right? So now how are you going to have an anti-hero be black? They're just a criminal. Well, they're no, yeah. Anti- the whole premise of the anti-hero is like they're somehow extraordinary circumstances have conspired to make them a, he- make them a criminal and therefore you root for them. That's what I'm saying. They're, so that could never happen because once a black person does something criminal, they're a criminal. There's exactly. no, there's no, Explaining it away. A, a black, no, a black no Walter context. White. A black Walter White is no, a drug lord. Just a drug lord. And that's it. Yeah. There's no. There's no uh, application of nuance when it comes to black bodies. So, anyways, that's why it irritates me. But I suppose it's well done or whatever. I don't know. It's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. With this Katy Perry thing. Oh, so I don't know if anybody else heard, but Katy Perry did this like live Big Brother, like UK live streamed dinner party Caitlyn Jenner was there and Amanda Seals and and Caitlyn and her got into a a little argument <clears throat> of course everyone said she was quote unquote hostile and such and such and such so Amanda wrote uh you know kind of her take on what happened and 
letting folks know what happened. Do you want me to play the incident first? Sure. Maybe that would be good for people. Oh, crap, it's an ad. Hold up. Come on, stupid ad. Finish playing. What are you typing over there? I was just looking at something. Mm-hmm. To be outraged about, for instance, usually the Republican Party is very strong on patriotism and defending America. Can you hear that? Uh-huh. Seen Republicans, so That's Van Jones. He was at the, the dinner party, Russian too. As much. Usually Republicans I think are- the Russian thing is just, it's, there's nothing there. They've been uh-huh. going for nine months. And they haven't found one thing. You don't think Russia interfered in the elections at all? Donald Trump even said to Comey, said, good, go after it. I want to find out if any of the satellites or any people in my administration were involved in something like that. He encouraged them to go after it. Um, Besides having dessert. And even um, Amanda's already holding her tongue. uh, Julian Assange with WikiLeaks says it's not the Russian government. Okay, that's not where I leak those things from. So, so that's so so there you're, I you're think, kind of seeing the difference. Different conversations, different conversations. It's, so same it's facts, a different conversation. Different, different interpretations. Jones is trash. Then, so then, um, I, maybe the Russian thing isn't isn't something that we see the same way. But there is this idea of kind of respect for American institutions, respect for the Constitution, protocol, those things. Usually, conservatives stick up for that stuff. Yes. How do you make sense of that? And I mean, because you could imagine. I mean, that going down a road where you start eroding some of these institutions, you start eroding some of these norms, we could wind up in a situation that uh, where democracy begins to fail and falter. And you guys have been the people who have been the most concerned about democracy failing and falter. Right. We don't really hear that that much. So when she says it, you say you, you feel like she's insulting. But it, does she have a point that you could need to respond to, though? It, you know, take the other thing out of it. Just concern for democratic institutions and our traditions. Yeah. Isn't that something you would usually be defending and sticking up for? I'm not defending anybody, okay? I can only speak my views. Um, no, I, you know, I grew up in a different America. I grew up in America where um, the government wasn't involved in every aspect of our life, okay? Uh, that has changed over my lifetime, big time. Um, and I'm not a fan. The government is not a religion to me. Okay, the government. Let me, let me ask you just one, just one question. They have that. 18 enumerated powers, and I would like them to stick with those. So, so when you when you say that, let me tell you how, how I hear it. Or to me, right. my, I'm a ninth generation American. I am the first one in my family, though, that was born with all my rights recognized by the government. Yeah. My father was born in 1944. You say the government wasn't always in our lives. Thank the you. government was all in my dad's life and my mother's life because of segregation. And by law, um, my mother was born under segregation, my father was born under segregation, back nine generations, and they were married under segregation. And my cousin Kenya was born under segregation. I'm literally the first person in my family in nine generations no, no, born. No, 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 listen. Kayla, when you were born and when you were growing up, I mean, it was just, I, I think it's so poignant. I think today is so poignant. Today is Pride Day, right? A month, a pride month, a month that this White House has not even recognized, which is very offensive to me, and I'm not even gay. I like men a lot. But to, and tomorrow, this is Anna Navarro. Show me. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 but tomorrow is the 50th anniversary of the Loving case, okay? Mm-hmm. 50 yeah. years ago, just 50 years ago, Amen. it would have been illegal for Van to marry his wife, okay? Mm-hmm. 
50 yeah. years ago, just 50 years ago, Amen. it would have been illegal for Van to marry his wife. Wow. And it certainly would have been wow. illegal, you know, for, for gay people to wow. be married. So when you say that government, that you grew up in America where government wasn't in your life, yeah, they were. Not as much as they are today. I don't know. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know that, 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 that a gay person that can get married today would say wrong in thinking that. Um, I, I guess what, what when we when we try to we're trying to talk across these big gap chasms. Yeah, I totally agree. Right. May I, I'm so sorry. Listen. I think maybe we didn't get to recognize it as much because we're white, and it was a little bit a lot a lot easier. So we didn't have to face it all the time. And now that we are here and diverse and everybody has a seat at the table, I think we have to create a space to listen to those people that have had different struggles, you know, that are, you know, not as privileged as us. Um, And I think it's just, I think we have to kind of face that fact that maybe it wasn't in our lives because we just were privileged. Totally but, I mean, it's told, and you were Christian as well. You know what I mean? So you were white and Christian. So like you're aligning with the base of this country. But I, I feel like there's there's an understanding that says like if someone doesn't agree with you, it may come from the fact that they have had a completely different experience. I totally agree. You. you have had a. I have had nothing of similarity to your experience in this country. Literally nothing. And. So when, like for me, it's an insult to me that you don't want to speak because you're not, you're not, you're not but listening to what I'm saying. You spoke but, because but, you were urged to and given a floor to. But, 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 spoke. but she just spoke. She spoke, but she didn't want to. She okay. was urged. That's what I'm saying. Oh. So what I'm saying is that all of us here have had such unique experiences and just are from such different backgrounds that we have to, like, if this is a, a conversation about having conversations then we have to be listening to each other and listening to the fact that, like, the reason I am so passionate, and I'm not hostile, I'm passionate. The reason I am so passionate is because I've had such a different experience in this country than you. Because as a black woman, the government is so much in my life, and it always has been. Like, the government literally said that black men couldn't even be in the house or else women could not get welfare. And that's a big reason why there's such a chasm between black women and black men in this generation. So I think that there's just a lot to understand for, like, why people are talking the way they're talking about different things. I understand why you're talking the way you're talking. Because I know... Cause, I, because I, I just don't understand what am I talking. I just said I believe in this country. Yes. And you you can say that in a way that I cannot. Because you've had a different experience. Because this country is here for you. This country ain't here for me in the same way, sis. Uh, it isn't. And you, as a trans person, have to also identify the fact that this country hasn't been here for trans until, like... Maybe two o'clock today. <laughs> so that's a constant. That's a constant. I do think this thing. is something. I totally agree. In the sense that I certainly grew up different than a lot of people. Uh, but I, you think that I, I didn't have any? I had so many. No, I'm not saying you didn't so have any many issues. issues but, your issues, but your issues may not have come from the the well, position I, I that you have. I'm, 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 I'm an immigrant. I came to this country fleeing. Okay, so that was the exchange that they had. So, um, obviously she was called, you know, hostile or whatever, um, because Caitlin bristled at the statements that, 
um, Amanda had made about toupee fiascos, proclivity for tyrannical behavior. And that's when the whole like, oh, I love my country, blah, blah, blah. Um, Amanda says in part, moments of unfiltered truths being cast at unwavering points of view, like opposing spells from the wands of Dumbledore and Voldemort, have happened at countless dinner tables since the election. These moments force everyone to play a role in whether the conversation will be an effective one. Our table was no different. There was Sally Kahn and Katy Perry playing the role of the listener, the safest and mo- often the most courteous um, position to play, especially if you're a white person and a black person. Speaking of about their black experience, Van Jones was the moderator. He was vital in not allowing the conversation to be derailed by lack of perspective. For instance, clarifying the concept of governmental interference in the lives of black people, which Caitlin seemed unable to understand. Margaret Cho and DJ Skeeter were the allies. They may not have said much, but their demeanors read speak your truth. Margaret's grin as I was breaking it down to CJ was like a proud mom watching her kid finally confront the bully, uh, which is the kind of encouragement you need when you go up against the obstructionist in this case that was caitlin the person at the table choosing to disengage when the discussion became difficult willfully ignoring facts presented as counter to their point nor genuinely taking in a new perspectives this stops discourse in its tracks lastly there was me the truth teller the person with the tendency with the tenacity to speak directly to the heart of the issue. After the clip went viral, several people asked me, do you think she heard you? My response, I don't care. However, there were hella black folks who did and felt empowered by the exchange. Right now, we're all at one big dinner table called America. Well, and not may not be live streamed. We must remember to ask ourselves, what role will you play in the conversation to make sure you land on the right side of history? So I'll share the the full piece that she wrote. It was really good. So shout out to her. Yeah, and, and- So Amanda... She's on uh, Insecure as well, right? Yeah, she's on Insecure as well. Yeah, you know, and uh, she's West Indian. She's from Trinidad. Yeah, uh, we we gotta go back. We missed one in the movies. Wasn't this a movie we we gotta talk about? The girl with all the gifts. Um, wasn't that a movie? Or was that streaming? No, that was streaming. But I thought we did talk about it. No, we haven't talked about it. Mm-hmm. We watched that since our last podcast. Fucking mm-hmm. loved it. If you haven't seen The Girl with All the Gifts, go watch it. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yes. I liked it a lot, but I thought we did talk about it. No, pretty sure we did. I thought we, I really thought we did. Cause I even shared, um, maybe I didn't. Anyway, cause Sharonda wrote this really dope piece. I really swear we talked about it before, but maybe not. Anyways, it's this really dope, um, I think it's on Amazon Prime is where we watched it. And it's a post-apocalyptic, uh, zombie movie with a twist. And, uh, there's this little black girl who's the main character. She's amazing. And I thought it was a really just like thought-provoking and like really interesting movie. It really sat with me after the fact. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but definitely if you have Amazon Prime, most people don't even know this, but you get Amazon uh, video for free. So you should go and watch it because it's free and it's available to you right now. The girl with all the gifts. Yeah, it's uh, terrific. It stars a, a black woman, a young black girl, uh, really just really well written, well acted, well shot. I think it was a, it was a British production, but I, I just liked it uh, an awful lot. Really uh, a good, tale for today's day and age i guess if that makes any sense like you're muted i was Mm -hmm. so yeah the girl with all the gifts i guess that's streaming not quite movies i I get confused i think of it as a movie if i stream it i guess i don't know i'll try to get i'll try to get with your new breakdown your new imap categories Mm -hmm. 
That's it. That's it. I, that's the last thing I had on there was y'all, the Kate Perry. Y'all, y'all done. <laughs> That's it. Nothing else. That's all I had. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? I guess not. It seems kind of a like a wah wah wah. Why is it a wah wah? I don't know. Just like a let down ending, I guess. Why is it let down? I don't know. It just seems like it. I don't know what that means. Do I, do I need to do a tap dance or something? Like Hello, what? Everybody. <laughs> I need to do a tap dance. I don't, I'm weird. just asking. Like what a is the dance? end of it? When have you ever done da, a tap da, da, dance? Da, da, da. Is that good? Is that good ending for you? Hello, everybody. High five.